week 12, people are going to read a whole book of the Bible. Second Samuel. It's pretty impressive. It is. And uh, we're, we're still trucking through. I mean, this is pretty substantial. What's 12 divided by 52? Oh, come on, man. Not a ton. <laughs> we're making a dent. We're making a dent. Week 12 of 52, we're in 2 Samuel. Uh, last week, we saw the anointing of King Saul, and then pretty quickly the disobedience of King Saul. Subsequently, David being appoint, anointed king over Israel, and the rest of the book basically just follows the drama of Saul's jealousy, really, mm-hmm. uh, over David. Yep. And Saul ends up dying. And so that's where we pick up in Second Samuel that David is grieved, actually, of Saul's death. Yeah, again, which is challenging in and of itself because... I mean, think about the status change that's beneficial for David. Well, not only that, but like this guy's been trying to kill him. Yeah. And he's, think, he's like, grieving and he's mourning. He's also mourning for his spiritual brother, best friend, Jonathan. Yeah. Because he dies also as dead. well. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, and some of that actually is, I think it's, uh, oh, that's actually later on. I'm mixing up sec- first and second Samuels. Got my numbers mixed up. Mm. One, um, one, two. Yeah, one and two. And you said two comes after one? That's right. Okay. So in Second Samuel this week, we really are going to follow the life of David, who is this king from the tribe of Judah, which is where we've been anticipating the Messiah to come from. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what all of Second Samuel is about. And we won't really be able to get into all of it, but we do want to hone in on some of the early chapters of particularly chapter seven because of how much it kind of captures the themes we've been talking about in the Bible so far. And honestly, we'll be foreshadowing going forward. It's a landmark chapter in the Old Testament. Totally. Yep. It's what we call the Davidic covenant. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, these covenants along the way. We've seen like the Abrahamic covenant. This is the promise that God makes with people, with, with Abraham that, you know, We've talked about that. Then there's really like the the Mosaic covenant, you know, the the covenant that God makes with um, Israel in regards to the Ten Commandments, the law. Now we are seeing this next covenant. It's a promise that God makes to David and his descendants. Yeah. So the themes of God's presence and God's, the the lineage of the Messiah are so intertwined here Mm -hmm. because... And part of the Davidic covenant that we see in the beginning of 2 Samuel 7, it actually comes up with David kind of reflecting on the fact that he lives in a sweet house and the Lord dwells in a tent, Mm -hmm. the tabernacle. It's been moving around from place to place. It's not, I mean, it's, it's mobile. It's not stationary and in one place. And again, when we say the Lord We don't mean that God... All of God was dwelling. God's allowing an aspect of his glory to be manifested in the tabernacle for Israel's sake, to be this reminder that he's with them. But yeah, it's, you know, he, he, David is like contrasting that and Mm -hmm. starts to have these desires of like, we should build a permanent temple structure, which was a good desire, but he says, not for you, that's going to be your son. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, even thinking about that 
the presence of God, or maybe the another way to say it would be the the meeting place of God. You know, it has, this is a significant addition to the story that we've seen so far. Most recently, obviously, we've had the tabernacle since back in Exodus, but Israel is actually going into the promised land, the long-awaited promised land, still having this kind of movable tent, and now all of a sudden. It seems like they're going to set up shop in Jerusalem with a permanent or intending to be a permanent structure temple yep. where God will meet his people. Because now they're in the promised land, settled, and, you know, that's that's their place. Yeah. And it's it's pretty remarkable. Like, we've talked about how the Messiah in Genesis 3.15 is going to put a death blow to sin listen to what uh, God says about this tabernacle or this temp- temple that when it's set up in second Samuel chapter seven, verse 11, he says, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more and violent men shall afflict them no more. Mm. Like there's this peace, you know, that kind of has this growing radius almost of mm-hmm. like, it's going to cast out evil, mm-hmm. hopefully. Well, and it's largely a place where their worship can be undisturbed. Yeah, which was not the case for right. so long of Israel's uh, of Israel's journey, yeah. and that obviously ties in with the the lineage of the Messiah as well. That it says in verse twelve, David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So there's this huge theme of the son of David coming in through here. And obviously that term sounds familiar to Christians today, the son of David, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So, I mean, what should a a Bible reader expect of this immediate son of David? What's our hope at least? Well, I think there's a little bit of interplay here in... Second uh, Samuel seven, in one sense, he's speaking about Solomon there mm-hmm. because he's saying your son's going to build a temple, and then he goes on to say, and when he sins, you know, I'll forgive him, but he says I'm going to establish, you know, the throne of his kingdom, and he uses the word forever. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a, a like an eternal mm-hmm. or, a, or a lasting aspect to um, this one that's going to come from David's line the kingly line who will be an eternal king and he'll be a universal king. Um, So in one sense, he's speaking here of Solomon, but then he's even saying beyond Solomon, there's going to be someone that comes from your kingly line that will, uh, you know, reign eternally. Mm -hmm. And that language is picked up a lot in the prophets, um, you know, the, the root out of David, the, 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 the son of David, mm-hmm. you know, all of that, as, as we read into the prophets, they're going to talk about that, mm-hmm. uh, describing the, the, the yet coming Messiah. Yeah. So it's, pr- it's pretty remarkable how important this chapter is in terms of kind of filtering down uh, what this line looks like. It, not only is it going to come from the line of Judah, but it's it's going to come through the line of David as well. That's right. And so initially, it's it's looking like Solomon is going to be the one uh, that is going to be the one to hopefully be this king, this you know this Messiah king that ushers in peace and deliverance from enemies and all sorts of stuff. 
But it's interesting because Solomon has an interesting entrance into the world that takes up a significant portion of Second Samuel. Yeah, that's, you know, obviously up to the, you've got the, the first several chapters of Second Samuel, there's a little bit of infighting of who's going to be next in line after Saul. It's finally settled um, that it's, it's going to be David. Uh, then they bring the ark to Jerusalem, which that's a, a fascinating narrative in and of itself just because of the, the holiness mm-hmm. that's around that. Um, then in, in chapter 7, you've got this, uh, the covenant with David. But then we really see, even though David is described as a man after God's own heart, we see this just massive moral failure. Yeah, through through adultery. And murder. Yeah. So, I, I mean, again, we talked about how well-known the David and Goliath story is. This is probably up there with the yeah. more well-known narrative about David is this adultery, adulterous affair he has with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, I mean, what can we learn even from our own sin fight against sin and our own life as we look at David and temptation that he he faced here. Sure. I mean, first I think we can't think about this like the only temptation that you could really mess your life up with is adultery. Yeah. Right? I mean, so there's true. like there's there's many other ways that you can we can compromise mm-hmm. and sin against God and um violate his character and just make immoral decisions. And as if, you know, it's, you know, sexual immorality of a kind that's physically acted upon, Mm -hmm. you know, like even Jesus is is saying that, you know, the, 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 anyone who lusts or looks at, you know, is the standard is, is much higher than we think it is. Right. Right. At least we, yeah. 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 And I think, just a, you know, you you just wonder how much of a complacency and comfort level contributed to this moral failure. Um, I remember hearing a talk uh, from a guy that uh, was he was thirty years out from a, a moral failure, and and he talked about how thirty years after you mean yeah yeah he he was talking thirty years after mm-hmm. you know after walking out many many years of repentance, and he he talked about how. It was more, he, it was like the busy pace of life that he wasn't taking time to really reflect and meditate on, on the Lord. And it was just like, get things done, get things done. And that was sort of what compromised his heart, whatever. Here, it almost seems, you just wonder like, were things just so good for David that mm-hmm. he didn't feel like he needed to be on watch and on guard and so it's almost the opposite of what you just said yeah it's like he's sending people out yeah you go you go win this war you know mm-hmm. we're, we're doing pretty good we've we're kind of mopping up around here you you go out i'm gonna hang back and kind of enjoy this peace and quiet and then he finds himself in this very compromised position second samuel 11 verse 1 in the spring of the year the time when kings go out to battle mm-hmm. david sent joab and his servants and him and all of israel David's the king mm-hmm. and he's sending everyone else out. So yeah, I mean that that's a that's a good 
reflection, the, 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 the guy that you were talking about, you know, there can be a hyperactiveness that we lose sight, lose oversight over our own soul. And on the flip side, there can be a hyper inactiveness mm-hmm. or complacency that, you know, we're completely neglecting all of the responsibilities of our life that we're just naturally more, you know, weak to yeah, temptation. Yeah. Or even just like a, well, that couldn't happen to me kind yeah. of situation. Um, and then I think there's also just a lot about like what David does with his sin because in covering up, it's like, oh my word, this just gets mm. worse and worse. And how much, how many times do we do that as well? Like mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to like, there's downplay. something going on. When downplay or like, cover it up mm-hmm. like so then you think well i can lie here and lie here and it just creates this snowball and it's it, all the while it's just making things so much worse i was so convicted reading about it this past time through because bathsheba's husband seems to be of such upright yeah. character he won't even go yeah. home so yeah. basically part of the scheme is to get uriah or is that his name yes. that the right? yeah uriah yeah. to come back and to sleep, sleep, with sleep with his wife to kind of confuse the pregnancy situation. Yeah. But listen to what he says. In 2 Samuel eleven eleven. he says, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Yeah. So, I mean, he's... Some integrity. Yeah. Or and, loyalty, at And least. then what's crazy is that, you know, Uriah is ta- telling that to King David. Mm-hmm. So then King David has to come up with a backup plan. He gives him a scroll to give to Joab the commander, which... It's his death order, It's basically. his death order, meaning Uriah never read it. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he took that yeah, right. all the way to Joab. Yeah, if he would have seen that, I'd be like, oh, I'm not doing this. Oh, no way. Yeah. And, but the fact that he ends up going on the front line mm. and listening to Joab orders, it's like, yeah, That's dude. crazy. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, there you see David thinks that he can take off the jersey. You mm-hmm. know, he, he thinks that when no one's watching, mm-hmm. he does not have to worship God. Yeah. And Uriah has the complete opposite conviction. Yeah. Even when no one's watching, yeah. I'm going to obey God and be a man of integrity. Yeah. It's deeply challenging, man. Yeah, and that's or Second Samuel is a, is a, it's just a fascinating book because in one sense you've got uh, this blessing that's been on David's life and then this massive failure and then chapter 12 the prophet comes and david doesn't even pick up what's going on he still hasn't real he hasn't confessed it he hasn't mm-hmm. repented and he's trying to live life like it hasn't happened so the prophet comes he finally realizes okay you know uh, that's me mm-hmm. and psalm 51 is the commentary of his repentance mm-hmm. and so there's des- definitely like restoration there's forgiveness mm-hmm. um and yet as you read through the back rest of Second Samuel, there's some consequences. Mm-hmm. There, there's, you know, there's, there's murder in his mm-hmm. family. There's, and I'm not saying it's all related to that, but there there are aspects of this that it just seems like some of this is um, the consequences of sin. Reaping what he sowed. Yeah. 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 But that doesn't mean but there's he, grace. It, it doesn't mean he wasn't forgiven of it. And he was a man after God's own heart after, you know, after it's all said and done, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, proactively, 
this gives us resolve and encouragement to flee any sin of any temptation of any kind simultaneously comforting us and encouraging anyone who feels that they've made an unforgivable irreparable uh, sin against god or against others because the lord can uh, redeem even the most broken situations yeah yeah and then the the rest of the book really is you know kind of talking about some conspiracies you know you've got absalom who's david's son who's kind of trying to take over Mm -hmm. um and then he's killed and David's mourning that, which mm-hmm. in one sense, you're like, yeah, it's his son. The other sense, he's like, yeah, but he's trying to <laughs> steal the throne from you. Yeah. Like he maintains that integrity of yeah. like not wanting to, yeah. doesn't want others to. Yeah. It's like the Saul thing. Like yeah. he's like, I don't, I don't want Saul to be dead, mm-hmm. even though he's trying to kill me. And he's like, I don't want Absalom to be dead, even though. And it's, it, it's crazy. Cause when they tell him, you know, when they end up telling him that, uh, Absalom has died, they kind of tell him with this j- almost joyful expectation that the, that David's going to agree with them. Like, hey, w- did you hear? Absalom's dead. And he's like just crushed. Tearing his clothes. Yeah, yeah. he's got a, a totally different response. Yeah. So. And the book kind of is, really ends almost with a, a psalm. Yeah. Ish. You know, so. Uh, 22. Yeah, chapter 22. And then uh, David's last words. Um, they're following that. So it's like his reflection on life. And then there's one last, you know, kind of messy situation where it seems like David at the end of his life wants to look back and be like, well, let's see how many, how many people are there? How, here now? how big did this thing get? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was clearly seemingly a measure of pride in the Lord was not having it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. We'll get to Proverbs when we, obviously when we get there, but, you know, it's, it even says later in Proverbs that the Lord, like, what what is it, three things or six things that the Lord hates and one of them is haughty eyes, mm. like looking down on others, simul- you know, when with that, how highly you view yourself. Yeah. And so... David's immediately convicted of it. He even confesses it to the Lord and says, I've, I've acted very foolishly. Yeah. Um, so there's consequences for that one as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a portion of Israel is, is, is punished um, because of that. And that's uh, basically it for 2 Samuel. And so the next several book, I mean, the next two books are 1 and 2 Kings and then 1 and 2 Chronicles after that, which kind of is almost like a recapturing, a re-summary mm-hmm. of, you know, of what we've been reading All of about. that history. Yeah. Yeah, the kings get into, you know, what what happens with leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll get in and we'll see how the kingdom divided and all that kind of stuff in, in next week, really. But it, it does, this is where that principle of the closer the leader stays to the law uh, you know, the more that influences the culture of the people mm-hmm. and the worship culture, because y- you really don't see, y- you see that in a very negative fashion. Mm-hmm. You throughout know, Kings? R- throughout Kings. I mean, you, yeah. you have like, you have David, who's, you know, seeking the Lord, although has these issues, as we all do. Solomon, pretty good start, but then from then on, the rest of his life, and from then on, you you just see, uh, the negative aspect of mm-hmm. 
the further the leader gets from God, mm-hmm. the further the culture and the people get from God. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's interesting in second Samuel 23. So, you know, right before the Bible kind of goes into this journey about Kings that largely recounts for the most part, godlessness, godless Kings that do not, uh, believe in, believe in Yahweh or do not obey Yahweh rather. Some do, but most don't. It's amazing that, uh, David is still able to utter these words in second Samuel 23 verses three and four. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Mm. Which again is just teaching us to look to this messianic king mm-hmm. because that, that that's the ultimate ruler yeah. that we want to be under. Yeah. And, so, and, you know, it kind of corrects the, we live in such a cancel culture that when we see a repetitive cycle of godlessness within the kingly structure, it would kind of begin to think that all sorts of authority are bad mm. altogether, mm. you know, but this is kind of a, a challenge for us in the areas that God has entrusted us. We can exercise authority in such a way that it actually causes the, you know, the people we are responsible for to flourish. Sure. You know, whether that be, someone might be listening to this and is a politician or if they're a parent, you know, like there's a way that we can, uh, rule or live rather in the fear of God, Hmm. uh, for the flourishing of others. So it just, it kind of, I don't know. I just it feels like a very poetic ending to Second Samuel that kind of creates that longing for yeah. the Messiah who will ultimately rule justly in the sight of men. Yep, totally. Any other thoughts? Second Samuel. I have no other thoughts. Zero. Seriously, I'm at all. <laughs> uh, all right, man. I I think that's it. We're we're not gonna do any questions right now because some are gonna be pertinent to later parts of First Kings and Second Kings. Any thoughts about First Kings? I mean. I mean, we set it up a little bit, but yeah. I think, again, I think don't get bogged down in the names and places necessarily. I think that the big thing is to like track the character and what what's happening to the people as the further they get from the law of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's kind of the yeah. the trajectory to stay on. Yeah, totally, man. So. Well, with that, I'll, uh, I'll pray us out. Father, thank you for the book of Second Samuel. Thank you for this uh, prophecy and even prediction of what uh, the coming Messiah was supposed to look like. One that uh, rules justly over men and is supposed to be establishing a, a kingdom forever. And, and we pray, Lord, that uh, as we see uh, precursors to the ultimate King Jesus in the Old Testament. We pray that it would uh, foster in our hearts a greater reverence and love and worship uh, for your son Jesus, who was perfect and without sin and uh, ultimately is the Messiah that through his death and his life, his death and his resurrection and ascension uh, has defeated sin and death, that we can have the hope uh, of eternal life uh, with you forever. And so, uh, we're thankful for the, the the kindness that you have shown us by giving us wisdom and instruction 
Uh, We're thankful for the kindness that you've shown us in your grace and mercy, despite us having significant moral failures, even in our own life, that you can still use us. And so we pray, Father, that we would uh, confess our sins uh, because you are just and to forgive us of all unrighteousness by trusting in your son, Jesus, and uh, help us continue to grow in our love for you as we read through uh, the Bible together as a church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.